You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. This morning's reading comes from Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, when I was a kid, uh, our family spent a lot of time at a place uh, up in South Lake Tahoe. And I would say actually a majority of my positive childhood memories really center around these trips and, and this place. But I, I also actually remember a sort of dark cloud that loomed over those family trips as a young boy, and it was the kidnapping of a girl named J.C. Dugard. Now, at the time, I was just a young boy. I didn't know anything about the, de- I didn't know the details of her life. I didn't know her name or anything like that, but I remember the fear of knowing that a young girl had been kidnapped very close to our family's place and that they never found her. That was the terrifying thing. They just never found her. That was until 2009. 18 years later, uh, she was discovered living in a backyard shack just here in Antioch, down the road. And what's really intriguing about her story is that she had multiple opportunities to escape her situation over the years, a lot of supposed freedom. But in her captivity, some believe that she had developed something that's called the Stockholm Syndrome. Now, the Stockholm Syndrome is based on a bank hostage situation that happened in Sweden decades ago where the hostages ended up resisting being rescued and became sympathetic toward their captors. It's really interesting. It's a, it's a survival sort of strategy that takes over that causes men and women to feel more and more dependent upon their abductors. Their loyalties begin to shift. They start trying to please the people that are against them. And in many cases, this very peculiar bond is formed between the two. Now, it's really easy from our position to say things like, well, I'm mentally stronger than that. I would have never let that happen. That's crazy. I couldn't have imagined. I would have just stood up and walked out. I'm, I'm much more resilient. I'm much more wiser. I, I would have taken that situation by, by control. But the truth is, we've actually all found ourselves in that position. At one time, we were too weak, too manipulated to simply just get up and and walk out, too ensnared to break free. And as the Bible describes that at one time, sin had dominion over you. See, people aren't just born sinners, people are born under sin's tyranny. And until someone is united to Christ through faith, they're actually under sin's control. And yet when a Christian is freed through faith, sin no longer has a claim over us. We belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful savior, Jesus Christ. But 
That does not mean that sin loses its manipulative power and influence in our lives. In Stockholm, decades ago, after being held hostage for six days, imagine six days in a bank vault, the bank employees who were eventually freed ended up raising money to pay for the legal defense of their captors. Now think about that. After they were freed, they felt this bond towards their captors. They were freed, and yet they were enslaved. Practically speaking, they were at home, free, liberated with their families, but in another way, they were still stuck in that vault. The Christian life between first trusting in Jesus and finally being at home with him, that portion of life right here, right now, is really about coming into the freedom that is already ours in Jesus Christ. Our our entire existence, mind, heart, body, and soul must be brought into that freedom that is ours. Now, we're just coming out of a section where Paul explains that faith unites us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We now, as Paul laid out in the previous passage, share in this new life. We walk in this new life. And he concludes that the Christian must consider themselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must consider ourselves totally free. Now, consider has to do with the mind. Consider has to do with logical reasoning. This has to change the way that you think about your life now. There's a transformation that has occurred that has to now inform our thought life and really specifically how we think about freedom. You must consider these things, he says. But also, as we see in this next portion that we're looking at this morning, there must be a transformation in how we relate to God, ourselves, and one another with our bodies. With our bodies. From thinking to now actions and behaviors and physical impulses. Now, I think that this is a very helpful order because we we can know something in our head, but it takes time to sink into our bodies, doesn't it? So a very trivial example, uh, as the bell continues to ring, I'll, I'll give a trivial example since you're probably not paying attention right now. Um, I've been playing golf. This is the first time I've ever talked about golf, I promise you, from up here. That's a miracle in and of itself. Um, I can watch videos. I can know exactly what to do, how to stand, how to grip it, how to consider the slope and where the breeze is coming from and all these different factors I know in my head. But causing that to sink into my body until it's muscle memory and habit formed is a year after year after year after year process. It's a very, very long process from that thing that I know in my head getting down into my body. Now that's a trivial example. A more serious example would be an example of trauma victims. With trauma victims, even after years of being in a safe environment with safe people, a certain sound or a certain sight, or a specific kind of touch can cause someone's body to to tense up and to experience these very visceral reactions. And And the reason is, is that unprocessed trauma is actually stored into our bodies. As some believe, it's actually encoded into our inner beings. As one author put it, the body keeps the score. 
Someone can know in their head that they are in a safe place. Someone can know in their head that they are with very safe people, but the body is still working through it. The body is still catching up in this process. And so it is with our new life in Jesus Christ. We can know in our heads that we've been saved from sin. We can know in our minds that we now are in the freedom of Jesus Christ through faith, but the truth is our bodies are still in the process of coming to grips with it. We still have impulses. We still have these desires. We still have these bodily urges. We still have these hungers. We still have these knee-jerk reactions and behaviors that have been formed in sin and now need to be reformed in righteousness. And so if we're going to go from a place of theoretical freedom, and I'm going to be honest with you, I am not interested in theoretical Christianity. If we are going to go from a place of theoretical freedom, like, oh, I believe I'm free, therefore I'm free, to a place of actually, truly experiencing the freedom of Jesus Christ, then what Paul has laid out in these three verses is going to be key. So if you're taking notes, we're going to look at this passage into three headings. Resisting our sin, redirecting our devotion, and realizing our freedom. Let's look first at resisting our sin. Look with me again in verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So Martin Lloyd-Jones gives a very helpful illustration in his commentary on the, Roman, on the book of Romans to explain what Paul is getting at here. And what he says is envision two adjacent fields in your mind. Picture two fields with a high stone wall separating the two. And what he says is each person begins in the field that is ruled by Satan and sin. Now, this isn't just Martin Lloyd-Jones' Lloyd idea. The, the Apostle John in 1 John 5 says that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. This is the default setting of humanity in this one field. But God, the gospel tells us that God graciously reaches down and rescues us from the one field and he places us in the other field that is ruled by Jesus and his righteousness from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. And because of this, the Christian now has a very new relationship to sin. There is a clear separation between the Christian and sin. And while we do unfortunately still choose to sin, we are no longer under its power or its grip. Amen? But, but we still hear the voice from the other side, from the other field, calling out to us. He says, after having listened to that familiar voice for so long, we are still inclined to obey it. I'm reminded of the really creepy psychological thriller from the 1990s, Silence of the Lambs, where this, this strange character, Hannibal Lecter, is still as dangerous behind bars as when he wasn't. That's the crazy thing about this, that his ability to control and his ability to manipulate people reaches through the bars that are meant to protect the world from him. And so it is with sin and that stone wall. Sin cries out to us. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> Hello, Mike. Hello, Connie. <laughs> Hello, Christian. 
And so the Apostle Paul says, you must not let sin have a say in your life. Stop obeying its passions. You are not under its control. See, for so long, you have been told and you have been conditioned from a very early age to say yes to all of your desires. We've been conditioned to listen to our hearts, to feed our hungers, to obey our passions, to question every single voice except our own inner voice. And all along, you've thought that you've been under control, that you are in charge of your mind, that you're in charge of your body, that you're in charge of your, your future, that you're a strong, independent, young, free-thinking person. The Bible would say that's laughable. Little did you know you've actually been controlled. You have been manipulated. And so as a Christian, you've got to begin to discern whose voice you've actually been listening to. Is it your own inner voice or another voice? Because Genesis 3 tells us that it's the serpent's voice that says things like this. I know God said this, but I think you're misunderstanding him. Let me tell you an alternative interpretation to this passage, one that fits your own personal preferences a little bit neater. It's not about you bending to the word. It's about bending the word to you. Sound familiar? It's the serpent who says, I know God said this, but really he's just holding out on you. I don't think you can trust him. It's the serpent who says, you know what? You deserve this. And I promise you won't regret it. However, it's the voice of Jesus, our new king, who says, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. One voice says, feed your hungers and your urges. The other voice says, deny yourself. So whose voice have you been listening to? Our minds, our hearts, and our bodies have been trained to listen to the old voice. And so we've got to retrain our minds and retrain our hearts and retrain our bodies to listen to the new voice. What's the new voice? The voice of God's word. The voice of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ within us actually empowers us to now say no to the old voice and yes to the new. You don't have to give in anymore. You have been freed to resist. You have been freed to disobey. You have been freed to fight sin and win. You have been freed to say no to self and yes to God. Amen? You've been freed to resist your sin. Let's look secondly at redirecting our devotion. Redirecting our devotion. Now, a theological concept that I've intentionally revisited over the years, and I'm going to continue to, is what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. You don't need to remember that term. I need you to remember the idea, though. And what he states is that there are two ways to try to break free from sinful habits that have been formed in us. Two ways. The one is basically just stop. And I'm going to tell you this. This is sort of the default religious communication to sinful things. Just stop doing bad things. Stop doing things you shouldn't do. You have an addiction? Well, stop being addicted. Duh. 
You get angry easy? I don't know. It seems pretty easy. Stop being angry. You're addicted to giving your body to people that are not your spouse? Well, just stop. You're controlled by anxiety and fear? Well, come on, stop. But as we know, and I'm, I guess I'm laying out a straw man argument here, that doesn't work. And the other, he says, is that we can redirect our devotion. And we do this by, quote, setting forth another object that is considered to be more worthy of attachment so that the heart will be convinced to exchange the old affection for a new one. I'm going to say it real simply. You are never going to be able to say no to something until you've given your yes to something greater. I'll say that one more time. You're never going to be able to say, completely say no to something unless you've given your yes to something more captivating and greater. Paul would tell us the law informs our no, which is important, but the gospel empowers our yes. And you will always find yourself drawn back into old habits if your mind, your heart, and your body aren't being captivated by something more satisfying and more life-giving. So with that in mind, look again in verse 13 with me. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So there's the no. Does he leave us there? No. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Okay, so what does that mean? Present your members as instruments of righteousness. Well, commentators agree. This essentially means it has to do with the directing of your body parts. I mean, he's getting very practical here. We, we need to start to consider questions like these. Where, what are your hands grasping for? You know, where are your feet moving? What are your eyes looking at? What is your body craving? What makes your stomach growl? What makes your heart beat? What makes your legs shake? Not just one aspect, all of it. All of us, every bit. And the point is not just about no longer giving ourselves over to the old. That is important, but that's not the point here. The point, and more importantly, is that we're presenting our whole self to God and specifically offering to God our body so that what used to be instruments of unrighteousness are repurposed in the kingdom of God as instruments of righteousness. See, because sin patterns and habits have been formed into our bodies, new righteous patterns and habits have to be formed at the same level. Don't expect to live selfishly and sinfully for years and years and years and years and then think all of a sudden when I believe, all that's gone. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Are we made new through Jesus Christ? Yes. That is instantaneous when we believe in Jesus Christ. That is the gift of justification. Our standing before God is safe and secure. Is the process, is sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus Christ overnight? No. It is literally a lifelong 
journey till we take our final breath. To illustrate this, um, during the season of Lent, I gave up social media for Monday through Saturday. Sunday, you're allowed to break your fast. We probably should have told you that. But you're extra holy now that you did it on Sunday too. And so uh, what I did was I deleted all the social media apps off my phone. And the intention, the hope behind it, was that I was going to spend more time in prayer and being present. But what I found was that my hand kept reaching for my pocket. And the interesting thing is that I never made a conscious decision. This would be a perfect time to reach for my phone. It was deep in my body. It was formed into my muscle memory, like, uh, what, what do they call it, kinesthetic memory? It was deep in there. I didn't even have to think about it. It was subconscious. It was unconscious. It was below the surface movement that, that happened without me even thinking about it. And so what I found myself doing was looking through my phone and then realizing, wait, all my social media apps are deleted. And so then I would turn to the news, which in my opinion is not much better. And so then here's the thing. I just stopped one thing, but I ended up redirecting it to something equally unhelpful. And here's the point. I had a spiritual goal without a practical plan. Too many of our lives are marked by this. We've got this spiritual goal. I want to be like Jesus. Okay, what's your plan for that? Uh, I don't know. Think about Jesus more. I don't know. That's a good question. Spiritual plans without practical goals. And so it made me think through, like, how many of... How many other habits are controlling my actions? How much of my life right now is determined by these impulses that are formed deep into me? What I grasp for, how I speak, how I react in certain situations, where I look, on and on and on. So, Romans 6 says that we've got to redirect our attention and our actions towards God as instruments of righteousness. This means, quite simply, we've got to form new, godly habits to replace the old ones. And God's not asking us to just shut down our desires. He's not calling us to be numb and to cut ourselves off from anything enjoyable. No, he's saying redirect them towards things that really matter and in the long run bring true life and greater joy and greater satisfaction. Everything we've got has to come into alignment with this freedom that is ours in Jesus. So I'm going to get very practical right now. If you have a habit of talking negatively about people, what do you do? Now, gossips never admit they're gossip, so I'm just saying it differently. <laughs> what, what do you do if you find yourself always talking crap about someone else? Do you just stop? Anyone ever just tried to stop <laughs> being a gossip? What do we do? We don't just stop. We have to intentionally form the habit of using our mouth to speak encouragement over them. So take an assessment today. How many times did I talk negatively about people? Tomorrow, that many times speak positively about people. This isn't rocket science. This is practical formation. Let me give another illustration. If you have a habit of reaching for things in greed, Maybe you found that your little shopping impulse became heightened during COVID season, especially through online shopping. 
You found yourself more like impulsively greedy and wanting more things. I need to do this. I need to do that. What do you do? Do you just stop spending? Good luck. What do we do? Well, the Bible tells us that we need to intentionally form the habit of generosity. No one stops being greedy by stopping being greedy. How do we stop being greedy? By becoming generous. How about this? You have the habit of hurting people and using people. Do you just stop? The way that we stop hurting people and using people is that you need to form the habit of serving others and treating others more important than yourself. One more example. If your eyes are drawn towards others in an objectifying way, you find that you're, you have a lustful eye, what do you do? Just stop? Good luck. You've got to form the habit of looking toward what God defines as beauty, courage, kindness, love, compassion. Amen? And forming new habits is what actually causes us to form new heart desires. It's not just that we change our minds in a way that changes our actions. This actually works both ways. We can change our actions in a way that changes our minds. And that's what Paul is leading us to discover together. Let's look finally at realizing our freedom. You guys still with me? Okay. Let me know once in a while. Uh, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now this right here, this verse, is the key to experiencing everything that I've mentioned so far. This is the linchpin, if you will. Because when Paul says sin will have no dominion over you, that's not a command. That's not Paul saying, you know what? You better not let sin have dominion over you. It's not a command. It's a promise. Paul is saying emphatically, sin will not have dominion over you. And this changes everything. Because what it tells us is that as believers, we fight from the place of victory. The outcome has already been determined. The future is sure. Christian, your freedom isn't hanging in the balance. Your freedom is not based on your ability to change yourself. It's been determined at the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ once and for all. And since the believer has died and been raised with Jesus, his victory over sin, Satan, and death is our victory over sin, Satan, and death, which means that we now have the upper hand over sin, not sin having the, uh, uh, the upper hand over us. We stand on top. Sin, no, is, sin is no longer your master, Paul tells us. And also he mentions the law is no longer your master. In other words, you're not enslaved to religion either. You're not enslaved to this, this pattern of trying to obey your way into God's favor. It's, it's not about exchanging one oppressed existence for another. No, through faith, you are under the freedom of grace. That's where you are. And grace is now the controlling force in your life. And when grace is the controlling force in your life, then all of heaven's resources are at your disposal. Strength, courage, Security, motivation, intimacy, 
fellowship, joy, contentment, satisfaction, fill in the blank, not only the will to live free, but the power to experience it in our lives. The power to move past theoretical Christian freedom into a real mind, heart, and body experience of it. So let me ask you a question. Christian, where's your mind? Where's your heart? And specifically today, where's your body? Where's your body? They've got to be coming into alignment with God's freedom because if if not, they're being given back over to bondage. There's no place of neutrality. There's no sitting perched up on the fence, on the stone wall. It's either coming into alignment with God's freedom or it's being forfeited and handed back over to bondage. And as Paul would say elsewhere in scriptures, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand, therefore, stand firm, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Don't go back, amen? Let's pray. God, wow, 